So Patty, I really think that one of the biggest opportunities right now for experienced payments professionals is going after these large enterprise accounts. And I thought that was a really interesting conversation that we end up having today with Quincy. Oh, I think Quincy is like spot on. I mean, yes. uh, I, if, it, if, if you're not excited after you listen to this, you must be sleeping. Um, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> because and then it's, he's doing then, great things. Uh, and then I talk about cryptocurrency and how the Fed's going to get involved in the crypto right. market. And James, your uh, your question from the field was really interesting. Want to give everybody a little hint yeah, about that? So, you know, I talk about training and obviously this is a, mm -hmm. a topic I'm very passionate about, but I talk about the three pillars of training where you need to make sure you have all three pillars covered when you're training your team, especially your sales team. Um, but then I talk about the real purpose of recorded right. video training, which might surprise you. Um, it's not to get more sales. There's a whole other reason. And we'll talk about that today in questions from the field. So uh, let's go. Welcome to the Merchant Sales Podcast. Hey, everybody. We are here today with Quincy McKnight. He is the CEO and founder at Covenant Pay Partners. How are you doing today, Quincy? I'm good. Awesome, man. Thank Great to have you. Yeah, great to have you on. Um, so I'm really excited about the topic today. It's one of my favorite topics because we're talking about selling big merchant accounts, basically. Um, and Quincy's going to share some insights with us. But before we do that, give us a little backstory. Tell us about how you get into this crazy industry and how you ended up with this focus on these larger accounts. Oh, man. Um, well, my career started at WorldPay. Um, okay. Yeah, so I was uh, the pre, uh, I like to call it a pre-dinosaur days of all the digital uh, happenings uh, all the way from the RBS days to which led up to World Pay and decided to leave World Pay back in 2012 and uh, launched my own uh, uh, beginnings, if you will, um, to running my own shop, to learning about the game and become where we are now. So it's, it's been a journey, uh, definitely a, a fail and it's a success journey. So it's been both. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that's that's usually the, the the way of success. You have to you have to make your way through a few failures to get to the success point, right? That is correct. <laughs> yeah. So, Quincy and I connected um, a few weeks ago, and I was really impressed just talking to you about some of the accounts you're going after, some of the ones you've had. So maybe start with that and share with our audience a little bit to establish kind of what your experience has been. You know, give us some examples of the types of merchants that you guys are going after, and and some of the success you've had. Well, yeah, so right now at Covenant Pay Partners, right now we are focused on 98%. Uh, well, right now we're 98% B2B right now. Okay. Um, okay. Processing processing about $102 million a year. Um, and we're looking to add, um, but we are fully focused on B2B measures, um, industries that kind of fell between the cracks during the pre-COVID, post-COVID era era so it was really a grand opportunity uh, if you're experienced in this industry you would have seen and noticed that was prime picking opportunity to to go get business um and, and one of the things that i noticed is that you know we a year ago we were only at i would say 35 38 million and took a right. big jump to wow you know 800 million a year uh because we were paying attention to certain niches um, within our marketplace um, where we put our folks, all our focuses on B2B instead of B2C, because it seems like a lot of merchant uh, service providers and ISOs and, and payfacts were trying to just all focus in on that B2C market mm -hmm. with restaurants and things of that nature. And I was like, you know, while they're doing all that, I'm going to put my focus in on, on some other things. 
So when you talk about niches that were not that were kind of falling between the crack, can you get cracks? Can you give us an idea of what what particular niches you're talking? You know, an example or two. Yeah. So for example, global retailers. Um, okay. Yeah, global retailers was they were taking a beating uh, mm-hmm. because all the way from the technology uh, issues that they were having to funding issues, settlement issues. A lot of the banks, uh, you know, Wells Fargo, for example, they were cleaning house. Right. It seems like, and during that this past year, we picked up more business um, that was running through some of the top processors um, out here that we were able to reformat them, uh, re- go back to the drawing board with a lot right. of these CEOs and literally sit down with them and put a new drawing plan together. Mm-hmm. You know, one, one thing too, I want to just kind of point out here, I think it's interesting, you know, all of these mergers and acquisitions that have happened, um, you know, we've talked a lot, Quincy, on the podcast about how that's impacted, um, you know, salespeople right. and smaller ISOs. But I think one thing that you're pointing out here, that if I, if I understand what you're saying, which as a trend that I've seen as well, is that it's also really had an impact on these large enterprise level, you know, merchants because, you know, they fell through the cracks as well a lot of times, right? Like they, you know, these big accounts, like they had their person that was their support person or their salesperson. Mm -hmm. And through the acquisition and the merger and the streamlining, that person no longer works at that company. And, you know, there's been this shift and they, you know, there's been this kind of uncertainty. And so um, have you seen that where a lot of these enterprise accounts where, they seemed a little bit more impenetrable before where it's like, we already have our processor. We would never dream of switching. It's too inconvenient. Or maybe now because of the uncertainty in the industry, they're maybe a little more open. Is that something you've seen? Oh yeah. Uh, because of the failures that they, they were experiencing. And, and that's the thing, what COVID, COVID taught businesses uh, so many lessons, whether we want to agree with them or not, right. it, every business owner had to go and question their business plan. Mm-hmm. Um, and go back and look at this, the, the the projectory and the scaling of every organization out here. You had to go and look at it to right. cover yourself. Um, and one of the things that we saw, with especially with the large enterprises, that I mean, like for example, our, our one of our largest accounts now they went through a bankruptcy, uh, and, and you know they're in every major airport in America, and they went through a bankruptcy, um, and and we were able to pick them right back up, uh, all because we were asking the right questions. Um, and the CEOs, their leadership, tons of their C-level le- uh, leadership got moved around and exchanged around. Mm-hmm. So it was really, really having the right answers. Um, and, and this is where dealing with these enterprise accounts, experience outweighs a Everything. whole lot because you can move faster when you are experienced in this industry. Right. Um, and especially when you're dealing with C-level type of conversations, uh, they want to know that bottom line. They want right. to know these are our issues and can you help us? Um, sure. And and fortunately, you know, I have a good staff that's smarter than me that we're able to put together a, uh, band-aids for a lot of these enterprises out here that were suffering um, or they were getting ready to see that they were going to suffer and we were able to come through. So so how do you how do you find these um, these prospects? I mean, are you is this, you know, uh, reaching out, um, you know, sort of like cold calling or uh, networking, other kinds of prospecting. How do you, how do you, how's your team come into contact with these guys? Well, it's, that's a good question. Um, one of the things that 
I found that what worked for me in my marketing, I'm in Nashville. So uh -huh. uh, one of the biggest things is that what's helped us here is the fact that a lot of corporations are moving their headquarters here to Nashville. So with me being from Nashville, born and raised here, and then being in this industry for 22 years, right. it is it 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 helped me navigate faster than most. Because you had uh, the because you already had the contacts with, with yeah the resources yeah the resources of people and one of the things that I would tell anyone because of the uncertainty that that this climate has placed on people uh, in corporate American jobs to it's utilizing it's taken and I and to answer your question I want to be very specific and I think that every merchant professional out here could really leverage this and that's was what we did. We actually went and focused on the C-level individuals that were let go from their positions. Mm -hmm. And we brought them in on our, on our referral program uh -huh. and gave them a very nice stipend, very nice re referral bonus for their networks. Um, oh, interesting. And, very cool. Yeah. So we went after the C-level executives that were moved around or they lost their jobs or uh -huh. whatever. We gave them opportunity and this was, and we sold them on, okay, let's make your network match your network now. Mm -hmm. right? mm -hmm. So we took like that analogy and put it to use. So now we have some of the top C-levels that now, and, and it's so funny because now a lot of people are coming back and thanking me because of that, just the idea of it, because they think that man, this was their outlet to become that consultant they always wanted to become. Right, sure. Right. So they're so now they're not just serving, you know, my industry, they're serving other industries um, with their networks now. Right. Leveraging and, their networks. Excellent. Yeah. yeah. So so taking so taking and taking these opportunities with these C level executives and letting them leverage what they have gained for the last 20, 30 years. I mean, just to let it go by the wayside is a smack in the face. Right. Sure. You know, you know, so we just took advantage of it. Yeah, I love it. I, I really want to dig in on this a little bit, Quincy, because I think it's such a cool idea. Um, you know, in our industry, I think one area where we really struggle is we do get people reaching out um, that have, you know, as, as an ISO, as a processor, you get these people reaching out. They have a network. Um, they tell you they have a Rolodex but they don't want to sell credit card processing. That's not their calling, right? That's not their mission. They're moving right. on to their next executive job. They're moving on to start their next business, whatever it is, right? But they do have this extensive network. And I feel like our industry really doesn't know what to do with them. Um, they really don't. They, they generally try to, they either say, well, we don't want to work with you. Or they say, well, you can, you know, you can board accounts if you want and we'll make you a sub agent. So talk about, you know, these people in that transition, I mean, what, what's important to them? What's your pitch to them? Is it about the money? Is it, you know, like, is it about the flexibility? Why were they interested in this? And give us a little more specifics of like, how did you approach these people? What was your pitch to them to say, hey, I know you don't want to sell credit card processing, but here's a way we can work together to make money in this industry. Like, can you give a little more, more context to that? Sure. Well, I took the emphasis off of selling credit card processing. Okay. Let's right. just, put that on the shelf uh, right. because that's so, that's a cliche, man. It's, you know, yeah, nobody, nobody wants, wants to hear that. that. <laughs> right, yeah. right, right. Um, so I took the value added proposition to them of, hey, you've been respected in your industry for however many years, correct? And they will agree with me. And, and I asked them, proposed them a question of, if you could put a value on your network, 
what do you think that value is? What does it look like? And a lot of people have never thought about in that in those positions what their actual reach is. And yeah. when they actually started to write down or think about their reach, yeah, a lot of them were sending me emails back or they would text me back and be like, um, hey, you know, and everybody calls me Q. So I was like, Q, I, I think I think that this can work. I, I think that, you know, because I gave them homework assignment. I said, if I can take the top your top five network people and help you convert them to a net worth opportunity, would you be interested? Yeah. And they were like, well, yeah, I mean, what you got? You know, not selling Avon products here. Uh, you know, so we brought them into the office. We showed them some of our corporate accounts of exactly how we're doing it. Um, and we talked about the digital processing age of how everything's moving from A to B. And we talked about the crypto portion of all this. I mean, we just threw everything in that bucket that we knew that he or she could gravitate to or they could relate to. Um, and so it's turned into a, a referral machine that it came out of nowhere. So like, for example, from literally from last, I would probably say from last August to this past May, I mean, it's, we've, I, I, we've had tons of referral processes just come through because of the networking, um, of through C-level execs that always thought, Hey, I can pay you a percentage of your networks. How would you like that? Yeah. yeah. And, I, and I told them, you don't have to do anything. Just make the introduction. You can come to the initial meeting. You know, we can meet at a restaurant, coffee shop, whatever the case may be. And during COVID, we did Zoom, of course. Um, so, again, we just took advantage of the moments and the opportunity trying to convert something out of nothing. Yeah. Um, and making that work for us. And, that, and, and once, once it started to click, we started to see a trend. So now we've got other CEOs or, C, or C-level executives or the sales professionals that have been in different industries that served other industries, yeah. they're contacting their friends. Hey, you need to get on board. Hey, can I get in touch with Dunkin' Donuts? Or how can I get in touch with this company or that company? And they, right. these people, have, they have access to them. Right, right. right. I, love it. I love it. So it's perfect segue, because um, my next question was about what do you do once you get in contact with them, right? So you've got this this network, which I love your idea. It's almost a, a pay to network play in a way. It's interesting. So you have this the, you're, you're getting the contact. So, you know, you have that first meeting at the restaurant, the coffee shop. Um, how do you proceed? You know, what, what are those first steps? Is it all about connection? Is it about trust? Is it about let's schedule a meeting with decision makers? Let's get a processing statement. You know, what's the approach that you're using to, you know, once you get the contact to start making some progress? Sure. So from my philosophy is I wanted to take this from a trust standpoint. Um, because nothing can move forward if they can't, if you can't build on trust. Right. Um, you, now, because you have to remember, these individuals are giving up their network of people right. for this. Yeah. And they're, you, you're asking them to, tr- hey, trust me here. And that's a, you know, that's a loose word nowadays. Yeah. So, <laughs> so when you have something like that and you, you, you shoot that at, that at them, um, I want them, to, I think it's good for people to let them get to know you as a person. So if you want to pursue, go down this road, uh, it's almost letting them pull the mask down off and let them see you for who you really are, or meaning show them you, the real you, outside of you being the leader of who you are, 
hey, I got three kids. I'm trying to make sure that they get to college. I'm trying to, I mean, talk as if you're at the bar talking with a friend. Yeah. And that's one thing that I noticed that have helped grow those type of relationships. So we start that part with the trust. And then from there, uh, that trust grows into, you know, hey, I'm going to give this guy a call or this lady a call and we're going to go from here. Um, and next thing you know, the connection happens. Um, and then that C-level takes that information, passes it on to their IT and you know, and I and, and the biggest pushback that I've seen is probably the 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 IT departments because they don't nobody likes change, oh, you know, sure. especially them. <laughs> yeah. so what, do you, but, what, do you, what do you do about that? That's actually my next question. I mean, I know that that's what happens as I've done big deals. It's always it always comes down to IT. Everybody's like, oh, that sounds exciting. We'll we'll connect you with our, uh, you know, with our director of technology and you can have a conversation. And it's like, oh, great. Here we go. So how do you deal with that? Obviously, they, there's got to be a big integration done. There's got to be a lot of work. How are you approaching that? Well, I think from me, that's when, to me, I have to step out of the picture. Um, and I've learned as a leader and as CEO, I step away from the relationship and let my IT handle their IT. Because one of the things I learned that IT professionals, they don't like talking to me because I can't talk their language. Right. Right. Yes. You know, so I have to step out of that lane yep. and put the right person in the lane. So if you've got representation there in your company that can actually speak that language, mm -hmm. then you go after that. You, you, you as a leader have to get out of the way and let trust your team at that point to, right. to talk, let them talk eye to eye here of how, because pricing and everything by that, by the time it gets to IT, we've already discussed pricing. We've already discussed, right. you know, how much money we can save you and, or if not saving you, how much quality and efficiency are we bringing right. to that organization? And that's what they want. They want because it's this because of the world's uncertainties right now, um, especially in the middle of COVID. Everybody wanted to make sure and reassure that, hey, we're not going to get shut down, are we? You right. know, we want to make sure we're going to get our money. So right. we established that portion and 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 upfront. Now IT is in place. So I step, I push myself out of the way um, and let my IT guys yeah. handle it, let them get along, let them do whatever they need to. Yeah. And they deliver deliver back to both leaders right. um, the meeting solutions. Yeah, you know, and one one thing I just want to throw out there real quick, a little, a little bit off topic maybe, but, you know, for those listening that are maybe individual agents, um, smaller ISOs that don't have that IT department, you know, I think they might not realize that these individuals are available for hire as freelancers, as, you know, whatever. And so, you know, I find myself, I mean, we have four full-time W2 developers at our company, and yet I still find myself, you know, working with the $80 an hour, $200 an hour developers to Upwork or Fiverr or whatever it is, um, right. because, you know, we will have certain things that'll come up where it's like, okay, do I want one of my people to monkey around with this for two months? Or yeah. do I want to just get somebody who's already an expert? They can knock it out in five hours, ten hours. It's done. So um, I think it, I think your point is a good one. I think the idea that you're going to sell large enterprise level accounts without having your own IT resources is just not possible. Right. Um, right. Right. Where you get those? Well, it could be, of course, in house employees, which is ideal. Um, but if yeah. you're not that large, it can also be contracted and find people that you can work with that have a background in working with different gateways and understand kind of the payments you know, ecosystem. But, you know, in my experience, I don't know about you, Quincy, but to me, when the IT departments get involved, 
it isn't really very much about payments anymore. Right. It's, it's about their ERP system. It's, you know, the end of all of that is yes, we're going to have to authorize a credit card transaction at the end, but really no matter, you could be using NMI or you could be using, you know, Paytrace or whatever gateway you're using at the end of the day, you're going to be authorizing a transaction, but the, the real IT department work comes into that flow and integrating everything and making it all work. Um, And so that generally involves an IT specialist that, Correct. We need to have a ton of information about payments. Yeah. And I would add to that, too, to your point of if you are an individual out here and you are running your own shop, you're by yourself and you're going out getting all these accounts. If you're wanting to focus on large enterprise, I would encourage you to partner with an ISV. Mm-hmm. Um, and the reason why I'm saying an ISV is because. They have the technical support yes. experience on the insides of these organizations. Most of them do. Some don't. Yeah. I've met a few that don't have the technical right. expertise to do API driven processes. Right. But for the most part, they understand it. They get it. So if you are an individual out here, I would encourage you to partner with an ISV that can help facilitate those processes. And, and then because that ISV may be able to give you an idea or, or a product that they already have in house that you can go sell to a large enterprise. You never know. Right. Yeah. True. Yeah. So let, let me ask you one more question um, yeah. about, about this kind of sales process here. So, you know, at what point, you know, okay, IT departments have met, they've kind of, okay, I think we know what we're going to do. We have a general idea. You know, it can be very challenging to pull all the right people back together again, you know, cause now it's like, okay, you've got your tentative yes from the C-level you got your tentative yes from IT, but you don't you don't have a sale yet. So what insights would you have on, you know, actually getting the yes? How do you know when to go for it? And when you do, what are you, how are you doing that? Any advice on how to pull the deal together once all the stars seem to be aligned? Yeah, once the stars are aligned at that point, it's either we're going to do business or not for me. And mm, yeah, me personally, that's why I take the challenge of, am, am I doing, have I done a good job? of selling this or, or looking at this relationship the right way. Um, so if, is there, if there's not anything preventing us from moving forward, can we move forward? And if we can move forward, how long will this process take? Yeah. Yeah. I agree. So it's I just would, positioning I would like yourself. Timelines. Yeah. I, I think timelines, isn't it? Like, I just feel like those conversations, it's like you can either have the conversation about if they want to do it, or you can have the conversation about when they want to do it. And I yeah. like having the second one. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, I right. know. Like, yeah, you know, it looks yeah, like we're all set. What's the timeline here? Let's let's discuss the next steps. Right. right? Like, sure. Sure. Take yeah. a proactive approach to that. Yeah. Yeah. Go what ahead. About, what about after the sale, Quincy? You know, what are the expectations of these merchants? You know, do you still have to do a lot of FaceTime? Is there still a lot of, uh, you know, co-mingling of IT experts? Uh, you know, are they more, you know, did they become pretty much self-sufficient? What I have learned this year, um, again, COVID has taught, you had to go back and revamp a lot of stuff, okay? Sure, sure. So we have found that we've had more hands-on experiences um, with companies having to reconfigure every single thing. Like they've been with one gateway, now they got to get used to having another Right. Um, or or chain of commands have changed. So now it's more hand-holding, I've learned, um, with the C-levels now because mm-hmm. they are the first ones who get hit with questions because they need answers. 
Right. Um, so there there will be an initial handholding, but I I'm expecting things to get better, and they have been over the last two and a half three months. Things have been getting better uh, because it's a new relationship for everyone. Right. Um, so so walking through that process of of looking at the relationship and saying, hey, this is where we started to, this is where we are. And, and I would almost do an evaluation, ask your customer, they'll tell you the truth. Yeah. <laughs> um, what, what do you, from the time we started to where we are now, what, what do you think? Give me your yeah. honest feedback. Um, was there a moment that you were discounting or feeling unsecure about a situation? Um, let them give you that feedback. Um, Cause I did that the other day. Um, to someone and they really appreciated that I asked because mm-hmm. it shows that you care. Yeah, sure. um, and so it's kind of like, hey, we're going to be in this contract with each other for the next 36 to 60 months. So why not, you know, lay the truth out there up front? Yeah. So, yeah, I like it. Yeah. I like it. Yeah. So this has been so much good information here. Uh, yeah, I, just, I, love really. this, I always love this conversation because Quincy, I feel like there are so many agents and small ISOs out there that really do have a lot of experience yeah. and they're just, they're not valuing that experience. They're really not, you know, they're, they're, you know, it's like, okay, I get it. Cash discounting is huge. You know, you're going to sell that. That's great. Right. That's, that's fantastic. Um, But there's a lot of more experienced reps that are kind of like, I don't know. I spent the last 20 years going to small mom and pop shops. I don't know if I want to do that again with cash discount, you know, because now I have all this knowledge and it's like, they're trying to figure out where that fits. Right. And in my experience, in my opinion, it's like kind of a no brainer you go after the larger deals. I mean, that's where mm-hmm. your experience matters most. So I'm curious from your, uh, you know, your side of this, you know, growing as you have the last few years, what insights or kind of final words of wisdom would you have for that ISO that says, well, I'm, I'm, I've never gone after, you know, my largest account does 500,000 a month or 100,000 a month, right? And it's like, I can't imagine going after one that does 10 million a month or 4 million a month or whatever. Any, any kind of final words of wisdom or insight for them to, to help them make that transition? Be patient and consistent love it patient patience and consistency worked for me and and one more thing don't be afraid to take the risk yes because mm-hmm. you won't know what the reward be if you don't take the risk yeah right so so i would those three things for me is what has propelled me to where everything is now and i'm very humble very grateful because and, and here's the unexpected part the scaling the growth yeah. is what hit and so you have to grow up really fast. Yeah. Like you have to go and because there are things that I still don't know that I depend on my team right. to tell me or or there may be things that with my other mentors in this industry that I have to contact them on. Um, right. And 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 so it's so when you're in these types of positions, it's looking at the risk. You're looking at the patients and 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 also you almost have to look at the vulnerability. Yeah. of how everything is, the reality. You got to right. give yourself a reality check sometime. Right. Um, okay, if it's, if I don't take this jump, if I don't take this risk and go after these large enterprises accounts, what, how is that, how am I going to feel about myself next year from now? Right. Um, because we have to look at things totally different. In the merchant industry, we have to look at things differently now because things are moving so quickly. And you yeah. will, and this is one of the things I've seen um, a lot of the veteran salespeople that I started with in this industry, they are, you know, they're they're fine, comfortable living off of what they built over the years, but they're not. They know that they're going to have to eventually go back re- out. Yeah, they're going. They know that the stuff is coming, and so a lot of them are thinking of retiring. 
mm-hmm. um, because they just don't want to face reality right. of things are technology is changing and you're going to have to have a new way of selling. You're going to have to have a new way of learning. Um, and some people just are, don't want that challenge. And so I would tell them right now, go for it. You yeah. know, like what Mike Tyson said years ago, everybody's got a plan until you get hit in the face. Yeah. I get you, know, <laughs> you know, so, so yeah. what's your plan? And, yeah. and that's something only people in this industry can ask yourself as an independent ISO or, or even if you're working for, you know, as a, as a 1099 corporate employee somewhere, ask yourself where you want to be from now. And are you willing to make these changes that I'm going to have to do? Um, And that's just the reality check, man. Because some people just don't want truth. I'll I'll leave you with this last thing. I had one of my elderly mentors tell me this. And he said, as a leader, as you're growing, as you're scaling, take five minutes, go to the bathroom and see if you can look at yourself in the mirror for five minutes. Mm -hmm. Five minutes. Try to look at yourself dead on for five minutes. And he said, you're going to see, he said, some people, he said, majority of people cannot do it. Right. I bet. Wow. That's powerful. Yeah. That's really powerful. I mean, and think about it for five minutes. I mean, you're seeing everything and you're feeling everything and you know, it real, it's like, it's it's like being in the moment for five minutes, right? (laughs) (laughs) Being in the moment for a moment is one thing, but for five minutes, you don't, you see all the blemishes, all the, uh, you yeah. know, all the insecurities, all the yeah. accomplishments. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and and the last thing I would say this, another thing, and, and I'm glad you're bringing this up because this yeah, is I stuff love it. that, a great that advice. I, my, my, my staff and I, we talk about this all the time. If you are an experienced person in this industry, gather all those moments of their successes and all your losses and create stories with them. Mm. create stories because they're powerful yes because i have learned that the the power of storytelling with Mm -hmm. most enterprise c-level industry professionals that is what sells because they want to know how experienced is this guy or this lady how experienced is this person right that we're gonna that i'm putting my corporation my trust in right how experienced are they can tell me about a time when it happened. Instead of them asking you, you should be beating them to the punch of saying, you know, we've had, you know, I've had, you know, experiences dealing with some of your pains that you, you guys have dealt with, maybe not on your scale, but on this level, I've had to deal with these things. And right. this is what, this was my outcome of it. So be able to yeah. think about all the stories, the failures and successes and, and come up with good stories that you can yeah. deliver to the client. Right. I love it. I love it. Well, Quincy, uh, you know, man, honestly, I think we could just talk for another hour about all this stuff because I think it's so great. I love the uh, insights. We got to get you back on here at some point. But um, to close this out today, I know a lot of people listening are going to want to know more about you and know more about Covenant Pay Partners. Um, Tell us where they would go to learn more and maybe share. Are there partners you're looking for, you know, opportunities you're looking for, things like that, and share a little bit of that with our audience and how they could get in touch. Sure. Well, covenantpay.com is our website. Um, my, I have a great president that now handle, handles everyday infrastructure. Um, so brought him over from the healthcare payments industry. Nice. Uh, so, um, but we are um, in the middle of acquiring our first, having our first acquisition. So we're very awesome. happy about that. Yeah. So um, right now we are 
I mean, I'm available and open for conversation. So even if people are not looking to leave and, and they're just trying to build what they have, I mean, I'm I'm always open. My door is always open. Phones are always on. So um, anytime anybody has any questions or whatever, I'm more than happy to give an honest answer. Uh, it may not be the answer that most people be looking for, <laughs> uh, but I'm going to tell you my my uh, my my hurts and pains and successes with the with those answers. Um, so. Uh, yeah, we're just a growing organization. Um, right now, we've got, what, 25 employees right now. So um, awesome, man. started out with two. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so um, now we've built up great referral base around the country. So and if people are just wanting to, even if you're a, a small ISO, I think you just want to grow that referral base of ISO or, or networks. I mean, we can show you how to do it. It's it was rather simple. It's not rocket science. It's just consistency. And it does take some work. I will tell you, it takes some freaking work. It is not anything worthwhile. Yeah. It is not easy. Yeah. So so what's your email address, Quincy? So in case people do want to reach out to you. Sure. You can reach me at, um, I'll give you two emails just in case you can't reach me on one, but you can reach info at covenantpay.com. Or you can reach me at quincy.mcknight, that's M-C-K-N-I-G-H-T, at covenantpay.com. Um, so those, both of those emails. Uh, and, and so, yeah, so we're, we're definitely available for any time for any type of conversation. So Awesome. Quincy, awesome. thank you so much for sharing your insights with our audience. I know they enjoyed it. I enjoyed the uh, conversation and just really appreciate your time. Yeah, really yes, valuable sir. information. Thank you so much, Quincy. I appreciate you guys as well. So, Patty, as the entire industry is struggling to find terminals right now because there's no... Oh, God, the chip problem? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Um, Our our friends at Valor Paytech are still supplying um, their ISOs with terminals. Um, They're not having a problem there. Um, Supply, they're seeing it drop a little bit, but they're able to manage it, and they haven't had any uh, any down issues where they're not able to provide the terminals that their clients need. So um, That's awesome. They've got the connections. They've got the supply chain. If you're struggling to find terminals and I'll say this, and you're looking for a great terminal provider, not just a short-term fix, but you want to explore it. um, But you want to find a company that's managed their supply chain successfully and gotten through this time. Please check them out. ccsalespro.com slash Valor, V-A-L-O-R. Hey, great stuff, man. Because I know everybody's really clamoring. Um, and, uh, you know, this is this is a great opportunity, not only for a, a great company, but it's a great terminal. So Valor, uh, ccsalespro.com slash V-A-L-O-R. This is Questions from the Field, brought to you by ccsalespro.com, the leader in merchant sales training and technology. If you're an individual merchant sales professional, visit ccsalespro.com forward slash training to get a free 14-day trial of our all-access pass. If you manage a team of merchant sales professionals, visit ccsalespro.com forward slash ISO to learn how we can help you grow. And now, here is Questions from the Field with James Shepard. So, Patty, today I want to talk about the three pillars of effective training uh, in our industry. Oh, uh, cool. Let's talk about the rationale for using training services. So, um, the three pillars of training, you know, this is a question that every processor or manager needs to ask themselves. Mm-hmm. Am I providing these three pillars to my sales team? Okay. Right, right. Um, number one on the list is basic industry knowledge and expertise. You know, top, that has to be the top, right? Yes. Yeah. Uh, it's foundational, you know, and you say, well, yeah, right. I don't think my team needs all of that knowledge to make sales. Well, maybe they don't, but they need all of that knowledge to have enough confidence to Fidence. make sales. 
it's it's sort of like, and, I, and I'll throw this out real quick. I've met so many people over the years who said, you know, when I got my first sales job, they made me sit down and read a year's worth of green sheets. Exactly. Right. 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 Because you got to just do that deep dive. Yes. You really yes. need to understand it. You got to have that, that confidence. Mm -hmm. um, pillar number two is you need to understand how to take that knowledge and use it in the sales process. Right. So how do you sure. sell merchant services? How do you approach people? How do you overcome objections? How do you close the sale? Right. So right. pillar number two, are you giving your salespeople a sales process, a pitch, a value proposition? So they know not only what they're trying to sell, but they know how to sell it. Right. And then finally, number three is what makes your organization unique? You need to train your people mm. about, okay, I know about the industry. I understand how to sell it, but I also then need to know the unique aspects of our value proposition as an organization. Right. You know, what are we doing that's unique? What point of sale systems are we using? Um, even things like how the back office works and how support, sure. you know, just the specifics of the organization. So those are three, three pillars. But then what I want to talk about today that I think is interesting is I was talking, I just went out actually to lunch today with John Shirey from our team. Sure. Um, he handles our um, ISO training subscription. Uh -huh. So we have right. ISOs that pay us monthly for our training. And I was asking him, you know, we're talking about expanding that and putting more of a focus on it. And I said, you know, you know, I said it was an interesting conversation. One question I asked was of the ISOs that reach out that we talked to, how many of them move forward with the, the training subscription? Mm -hmm. He's like 80%, you know, like when they realize what it is, it's like, right. oh, of course. But then the real interesting one is I said, but why do they buy it? And, you know, the natural thing is you would think it's because they want to get more sales, right? Mm -hmm, but mm -hmm. that's not the reason. The reason really? that they get it is because they want to have more time. So what's happening is they're training oh, their salespeople right. over and over. They hire two people every month. Sure. And every month they spend six hours training those two people, maybe 10. Right. And then after that, they have a myriad of questions because their training isn't really complete. Of course. So they come to us and say, wait a second, you're telling me I can hire somebody, put them through your 12 hour, you know, training video course. Mm -hmm. They take quizzes. I get reports. I know if they did it. And then at the end, I can just train them on that third pillar of what's unique to our organization. And that's all I have to cover. And that'll take maybe a few hours or a day, right? Exactly. Yeah. Um, so I'll, you know. Yeah, it's kind of a no brainer. So they'll they'll do that because they want to save that time. Sure. Um, but then they then they do get more sales as well, and we'll get, we'll hear back from them. So it's interesting. They don't really buy it to get more sales. They buy it to get more time and be able to scale faster. But then they keep it because they start to see more sales from the people that sure. go through the training. Because again, sure. that confidence builds. Um, and then now we've even opened up our learning management software that we built in house with all the tracking and everything for our industry, where um, people that have their own videos, we encourage our clients now. Hey, shoot your own video content of your portal your stuff, your right? Stuff, your unique stuff. And we just send us the files. We load it up for you and create your own, you know, courses in there. Very so, sweet. Um, so it's, a, it's, you know, today is definitely a little more of a biased uh, question from the field, but I get so many people asking me about the training that I wanted to address that, you know, if you're an ISO, understand that if you're spending a lot of time training people on the same things over and over again, it might be time to explore a disinterested third party um, that has this training content already. I've got about 50 hours worth and we mm -hmm. tend to take that 50 hours and we figure out which 10 to 20 hours is going to be worth for that ISO. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and then yeah. we make the rest of it available as a searchable database of information, but oh, really cool. want to make a structured learning plan or learning path 
for people as they come into the industry to go through all three pillars, ideally, or maybe mm-hmm. you can have your own content that you could put in a video form or get it through the first two pillars of industry knowledge and how to sell. Then you cover that third one live and in person with your team. Um, but that's still going to save you 80, 90% of the training. Time. Sure, sure. Yeah. So if you have questions about that, go to ccsalespro.com um, and just click on training right there. So you just click on training, take you to a landing page and we'll, we have a lot of different options that you can check out. Sounds great, James. Thanks. This is the Insider's Report with Patty Murphy, brought to you by The Green Sheet. For nearly 40 years, The Green Sheet has been the go-to source for news, analysis, and educational tools that empower and connect payments professionals. If you're not reading The Green Sheet already, check it out on the web today at www.greensheet.com. Well, James, I wanted to talk this week about the Federal Reserve, and it seems to be leaning towards offering a Fed-backed cryptocurrency to the general public. Yes. Um, for Fed Chairman Jerome Powell and uh, Governor Lael Brainerd have been talking up the Fed's plans in recent weeks. In remarks to a cryptocurrency uh, conference in late May, Governor Brainerd said the Fed is concerned the proliferation of digital currencies, uh, coupled with growing consumer preferences for digital payments, could trigger consumer protection and financial stability r- risks. Hence the need for the Fed to uh, step in, you know, and and we've talked about this before, but cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin fluctuate wildly in value, Mm -hmm. primarily because there's only a limited number available. In the case of Bitcoin, it's like 21 million. Right. You know, and that's why, you know, at the start of uh, 2020, the the price of a single Bitcoin was about $7,200, I believe. Right. In May uh, last month, it hit 64,000. And I looked yesterday and it was dipping below 30. So that gives you, I mean, that fluctuates. Yeah, and then, and then literally today, hold on. Why was it today? Yeah, I hadn't looked today. Like, like as of like right now at this moment, it's back up to 33.6. Right. So, you know. I mean, that's it, that's almost a, that is a, that a is 10%, over 10% in one day. Variance in one yes. day. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's crazy. Uh, and, you know, there's newer iterations like that are known as stable coins that are pegged to traditional stores of value. Right. Um, U.S. dollar coin, for example, is tied to the U.S. dollar. Um, but unlike the U.S. dollar, stable coins lack legal tender status. So they, in effect, become private forms of money. Mm-hmm. You know, in the U.S., we did that back in the uh, late 19th century. And that's why the Fed was created, because there was all this private money floating around. We needed some kind of centralization. Right. And that's the Fed's thinking, you know, that right. a crypto backed by the Fed would come with all the regulations and consumer yes. protections, right. you know, that government. And it's like, you know, them even talking about that. I, I'm I'm just shocked that the cryptocurrency, you know, market doesn't look at that. And I mean, I know that's been a you know precipitous fall. Right. Some of these conversations. But I mean, you know, <clears throat> obviously, Bitcoin would realize that that would be a game over problem for them. I mean, right. I mean, that's the way I see it. I mean, to me, opposite, it's like the U.S. government's going to make their own crypto and then they're still going to allow Bitcoin transactions. Like the reason that they're creating it is they don't like the they don't like that. Going. And they, you know, and they oh. especially don't like the fact that cryptos are used for underhanded, illegal kind of activities. Exactly. You know, what was it? The. uh the JBS food, I think, was that that was one of the meat packing plants that yes. got hacked yes. yep. ransomware and they paid, you know, four over four million dollars in Bitcoin right. to get its meat packing plants back online. Yep. You know, 
But in, in the Fed's remarks, it also mentioned that it was spurred to action because of COVID-19. And that's because, you know, you have all these unbanked and underbanked households, about one in four U.S. households, according to the FDIC. Mm -hmm. um, and the, you know, the government had a real problem getting assistance checks out to these, these places. Right. You know, that right. they had to use prepaid cards or send checks. None of that's very efficient. So uh, that's that's a good talking point for the Fed. But I think the bigger point, as you as you and I just said, is you got to get some government action in here, or these all become private uh, currencies that undermine you know the economic stability. Right. Right. But I thought this was I found a really interesting data point when I was doing the research on the Fed, um, and that is that. Um, 45 million Americans, or about 18% of the population, have used a crypto payment to make payments, a crypto coin to make payments. Yeah. That's um, and I think this is a number that's going to, you know, rise as fintech disruptors like PayPal make it easier for people to buy and sell and store these things. Sure. Um, and here's something that Governor Brainerd said that I think is noteworthy for merchant services. She said that having a Fed-backed cryptocurrency may drive down the cost and improve efficiencies in retail payments. And here's the quote that I, that I took from her speech. Today, the costs of certain retail payment transactions are high and not always transparent to users. Competition among a diversity of payment providers and payment types has the potential to increase the choices available to businesses and consumers, reduce transaction costs, and foster innovation and end user services, she said. Mm. So, yeah. you know, it's sort of like the Fed, you know, we've talked about this before, the Fed, you know, uh, regulating debit interchange, you know, right. throwing, you know, some some uh, shade on credit card pr processing. Right. Um, this, you know, if you can Over tie it into something like retail payments, it right. becomes a much more palatable thing yeah. for the government, I think. Yeah. So. Yeah, super interesting. Well, I'm sure you'll keep us in the loop on the developments there. Oh, but, yeah. In um, fact, the Fed's supposed to have a report out. out, I believe, in July or August. So okay. when they Great. issue that report, I'll summarize it for everybody. Love it. Thanks so much, Patty. Sure. This episode of the Merchant Sales Podcast was brought to you by Valor Paytech, the technology company that is revolutionizing cash discounting and surcharging with innovative features like dual mid support, waive the fee options, and even adding non-cash adjustment charges to tips. Now, all of this is made possible by a variety of technology devices and solutions such as gateways, tabletop point of sale devices, and features like SMS text messaging and e-invoicing, all with cash discounting in mind. Valor Paytech, bold ideas, smart execution, make sure you head over to ccsalespro.com slash valor, V-A-L-O-R, ccsalespro.com slash valor, V-A-L-O-R. Schedule your free demo today and watch videos and learn more about this amazing technology solution. Thank you for listening to the Merchant Sales Podcast. Whether you are an industry veteran, processing executive, or just trying to learn about the payment space, we appreciate your time. The Merchant Sales Podcast is a joint production of Greensheet.com and ccsalespro.com. And we hope you will tune in next week for more information and tips on building your merchant services business.